We're in a series we're calling Servants and Sons. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the two roles that we as believers play in our relationship with God. In other words, we are servants of God. Can I hear a big amen from the servants of God in the house? Right? So we are servants, but we are also sons. And so for the last two weeks, we've been talking specifically about the servant role. And this is very important to me because I I just feel like we in the Western church, especially, maybe we've lost the idea of repentance. And maybe we feel a little entitled when we come to the Lord. And so I love teaching on the idea that when we come to God, we have nothing to brag about. We don't bring him anything of value except our heart. And so we come and we approach the Lord with the idea of humility and repentance and grateful for his mercies, right? And then we also said that, like Paul wrote in Romans 12, in view of God's mercies, in other words, in response to God having been so merciful to us, it should be our privilege and honor to serve him. So we ought to not serve him out of obligation. We serve God out of appreciation for how gracious he's been to us. So we've, that's what we've covered so far is the role of the servant. But this morning, I kind of want to switch gears and we're going to get into the role of a son, what it means to be a son of God. We're going to be in Luke, the 15th chapter, because as you remember, we're using the parable of the prodigal son as kind of our base text for this series. And so um, as we're reading here this morning, Remember at this time, the son who went away, who took his inheritance, who went away, who wasted it all on riotous living, found himself in a bad position. He's now returning. He's made his mind up to return home. And, um, and so as we're reading our text for this morning, what I want you to pay special attention to is we're going to look at the father's response. How did the father respond when the son came home? So begin reading with me in verse 20. It says, so he, this is the son, returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I submit to you that the power of this story and the power of this series, because this series is built on this scripture text, the power of this series is found in the second sentence of the text we just read. When he, when he came home, when he was coming home, it says that the father was, was watching for him, saw him a long way off, ran to meet him, and here's the second sentence, ready? It says, and his father was filled with, and I want you to stop right there. So the father was filled with, and let's put a blank right after that. And here's the question I want to ask you. How do you view God? In, from your own paradigm of who God is, how would you finish that sentence? God was filled with what? Because you've you got to remember that, that we view life through our own lens. It's been said that we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And so if, if I have a distorted picture of God, then I may fill in that blank incorrectly. 
At the beginning of this year, we, we've kind of said that we've heard from the Lord to focus on families this year. And as I was preparing for this, I was once again reminded of the power of the family because our families shape us. We've said this too many times already, but what shapes us is traumas, dramas, daddies, and mamas, right? And so I, I, am, I am shaped by these things. And, and the family is just such a powerful um, environment for shaping people. But the problem is, remember when God designed the family, he designed the role as father. If you're a father in the house, listen up. When God designed the role of father, the role of father in the family should be a perfect, perfect representation of God our father. And when we, when we fulfill our role as a father, it ought to be a mirror image of how our father in heaven treats his children. Any dads in the house lived up to that yet? We're still trying, right? But what happens is um, the, the father, the way we viewed our father, the father that we've experienced shapes the way we view God our father. And this is why men is, uh, you know, we, we need to get this right because the family's just so powerful because if you've had a father um, who abandoned the family, you tend to think that God, our heavenly father, will abandon you. I've seen, you know, images of, of where there was a man come into the woman's life and, and got what he needed from her and she became pregnant and then he, uh, he's, he leaves and leaves this woman here to struggle with her children. And, and listen, there's mothers who have experienced this and God bless you, you're doing your best. But if we're not careful, that, that skewed father will give us a skewed, Im, skewed image of God our father. You tracking with me? Instead of a father being loving and accepting, if a father is rough and abusive, it, it just, it messes up our paradigm. And so if you're looking through a filter like that that's somehow broken, then you may finish this sentence in this way. The father saw him coming a long way off and he was filled with disgust. He was filled with judgment. He was filled with disappointment. He was filled with criticism. He was filled, you see, we could, we could put anything we wanted there. But here's what Jesus did. Because you've got to remember, this is a parable. In other words, this story he's telling, it didn't happen. This story did not happen. This was a story that Jesus made up. And he made this story up to teach something. He was, he was trying to teach a concept to people, so he created this story to, in order to teach this concept. And so you've got to remember that Jesus being the son of God, knew what, what the perfection of fatherhood looked like. He knew the perfection of his father, and so he tells this story in a way that we can understand so that you and I can have a proper understanding, a proper paradigm of God our father. So it says what happens here is when, when the, the young man started coming home, the father looks out, and instead of being filled with disgust, instead of being filled with criticism, he's filled with compassion because that's the heart of God our father. And that word there, compassion, is interesting. I was actually going to try to make you think I was really smart and give you the Greek word for compassion, but it's this really tricky word to say, and undoubtedly I would have stumbled all over it. So just imagine me telling you this really impressive word right now. <laughs> right? But the word, <laughs> thank you, yeah, you're amazed. The word for compassion there in the Greek 
It's not really what we think of when we think of the word love. It's actually a word that means compassion or even pity from the bowels. Like from, here it is, like gut love. Like just something down in, remember Hitch? At the, in here, it's just in here, right? It's just so, so like the father was filled with just like this gut love and a compassion for his son and even, even pity. And that's a true representation of the heart of God when he looks down at us and sees us in our sin and sees us in our brokenness. It breaks his heart and there's a gut love he has for you and I. Now, I was kind of, as I was studying, I was just kind of walking through the differences between love and stuff in my mind and trying to figure out how to illustrate this. And, and here's the best way I know how. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm not always compassionate. Now, I love you all because I have to, right? We all know that we're supposed to love one another. And we've all been told that Jesus loves us. But sometimes that that's not always compassion, right? And, um, you know, I love, um, I love cop shows, like, like reality cop shows. Remember the movie, the show Cops? Like, I just love it. And now they got live PD, and like Laurie can't understand why I want to watch that, but I just love it. Any of you guys in the house like that? And, um, and so I'm often, you know, as watching as the cops arresting people and stuff, you know, sometimes I have pity on them. Sometimes I'm like, good there's one thing that bugs me more than anything else. Can I just talk to you for a minute? It's people, when they get in a car and run from the police in a car, it just bugs me. And it bugs me for several reasons. And I'll just tell them to you since I uh, don't have anything else to do. And like the person in this car running from the police, they have no concern for other people on the road. They may hurt or kill somebody. But you know how my mind works? I'm like, I'd rather you kill me than hurt me. Because if you hurt me, then I got to go through the hospital and the insurance and the, you know, calling in sick for work. It would be hugely inconvenient, right? And so I think about this. Not only do they possibly hurt people, you know, they bump into other cars. And again, as a car owner who's had to deal with insurance company, I'd be like, don't hit my car. <laughs> but they don't care about hitting other people's car. Even if you just knock the mirror off them, you're going to inconvenience somebody for a week as they deal with rental cars and stuff like that. Are you okay? I'm just ranting up here. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and the worst thing is, like when, when the guy who's running runs through somebody's yard. As somebody who takes care of their yard, it's like, come on, dude. Like you ran over my hedges, knocked my mailbox down. I mean, it's, and I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to you, so it makes me really have no compassion on those people. In fact, I'm kind of the guy when they finally catch him, I'm like, I got some ideas. <laughs> like, here's one of them, like, like, let the dog loose and then go get a cup of coffee. All right? And grab the taser and just give them a couple extra jolts, you know? Now, does everybody believe that Jody loves that guy, but Jody's not being compassionate at the, at the time, Right? And so we all understand the difference between love and compassion. But it's interesting because there, there are certain groups of people in certain instances where I feel that 
Maybe what the father felt, that compassion. You don't know something that I, a group of people that I feel especially compassionate toward, and it's people who struggle with their sexual identity. I really have a compassion for people like that. And it's not something that I struggle with my own. I've had plenty of other struggles, but that's not been one of them. But when I see people who struggle with their sexual identity, I, I just have a compassion for them. And especially, I want to say this carefully, right? From a fatherly, and I'm even a grandfather now, from a fatherly perspective, when I see a young lady who is obviously a woman, but you can tell by the way she presents herself to the world that she's struggling with her sexual identity, I just want to go over to her and in a fatherly way, hug her and just go, baby, the devil is lying to you. This is not who you are. God has better for you. Not condemning, listen. Not preaching her sermon, not but just hugging her. And I believe this was the spirit this father was, was walking in at this time. So the, the, the son comes home, and as soon as he gets in view, the dad is running out to meet him, and, and he was filled with compassion. And I want you to know that if you're a prodigal in here today, maybe you've not yet met the Lord or you've known the Lord, but you've, you've wandered away from him. Listen, your dad is at the driveway looking down the road and he's filled with compassion. His arms are open, his heart is open, and he's ready to receive prodigals this morning. So the father looks out, filled with compassion, and he runs to him. And, and our text tells us that he didn't just run to him. When he got there, he embraced him. Now remember the prodigal's journey. Remember the journey of this young man. He had left home, uh, with, had, with plenty of substance, he had his inheritance, but uh, in life he'd squandered all he had, and he ended up he ended up working for a pig farmer and feeding pigs for a living. He was starving, so he actually began to eat the pig food, the food that was meant for the pigs, he began to eat. So when I picture Junior coming home, I don't picture him in a nice outfit. I picture him tattered. I picture him dirty. I picture him smelling much like you think a pig form would smell. But in that moment, even in that state, there was a compassion in the gut of Father. And Father reached out to him. It says that he embraced him. Listen, stinking all. The Father embraced him. Not only did it embrace him, it says he kissed him. Now, I just picture this muddy, dirty cheek and dad just planting one on him, just right there in the filth. And so what do we learn from this? Listen to me, church. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what your story is, what your past is, what your recent past is. You're never too far. You're never too far gone to out, outrun the love and the compassion of your father. He is there ready to receive you. I just want to tell you my end game here this morning. I, as I was preparing for this, what I believe the Lord told me to do was offer an opportunity at the end of this message for prodigals to come home. And so I believe God's going to do something among us here this morning. Amen. So the father embraces him, and we see, we see the, the heart of the father in this. But not only did the father embrace him and kiss him and receive him, he went, he went beyond that. Look with me back in Luke 15 at verse 22. 
says, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now, remember, when Junior came home, he was repentant, he was humble, he understood that he had blown it. And so he didn't come back with entitlement, he came back in humility and repentance and said, Lord, I'm not, or, or Father, I'm not willing to be called a son or, or, or deserve to be called a son, just make me a servant. And so Junior came home in the right spirit, that's the way we approach God. But here's, here's the factor that, that Junior didn't understand and that maybe you and I didn't understand until this morning is that his father was a ridiculously gracious man. He had ridiculous compassion, ridiculous love, and instantly greeted him, brought him back into the, the household. But not only did he kiss him and let him in the door, he was this, the father is ridiculously generous. Because he said to him, listen, thank you for wanting to be a servant, but I don't just have a servant role for you. I want to restore to you the role of sonship. And so he calls for the servants, and, and he had the servants bring three things. Now, these weren't three random things. I believe that they were, these were three specific things that, that the father had the servants bring. First of all, he had him bring a robe and so when we look at this robe, um, it, it, speaks, it speaks to a couple of important things that you and I need to understand. It, 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 was, it was more than a coat. There was spiritual representation attached to it. And I believe this, that the robe, here's what it meant. Here's what it represented. First of all, obviously, it represented a, 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 a covering, right? It was a coat. But more than that, remember back in Genesis chapter 37 when we see Joseph? Remember how Joseph was loved and appreciated by his father? So what did his father do? His father gave him the robe of many colors, the coat of many colors. Anybody remember that? Well, that, what, that, what that coat spoke of, it spoke of approval and it spoke of love. So when, the, when father had the servants put the, the coat on this young man, what he was saying was, I approve of you and I love you. So that was the first part of it. But secondly, and probably more powerful, the robe really was a covering. It was about a covering. Now, look with me in the book of Isaiah, the 61st uh, chapter, and I want to show you a passage here. This was a prophetic word speaking about the redemptive act of the coming Messiah, and this is Isaiah writing. He says, I'm overwhelmed with the joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. This was a covering. This, this son had, had transgressed. He, had, he was a sinful man, but the father wrapped him in a robe. What does that mean for you and I? Listen, when we come to the Lord, we don't have anything to brag about. We come to him in our sin. We come to him with our iniquity. But at the moment of salvation, we are given a robe, and it is the robe of our older brother Jesus, who, listen, you and I could not do it right. We could not earn the robe of righteousness 
righteousness because we did not live a righteous life. So God sent his only son, Jesus, our older brother who came as a man and, and through his life, he earned the robe of righteousness because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So he earns the robe. But in his generosity, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he takes his robe that he deserves and he wraps it around you and me. It's the robe of righteousness. And so, so this robe for this young man said, you are loved, you belong here, and you are covered. Next thing he gave him was a ring. He said, said bring the ring. Well, what does the ring symbolize? Well, the ring symbolizes a couple things. Number one, it, it symbolizes identity. This is the family ring. It's the family crest. Like, you're, you're not just a servant who has to live in the barn. No, come on into the house and put the ring on because you belong to this family. And so it was a picture of identity. Not only was it a picture of identity, it was a picture of authority. Because it was, in, it was in that ring, the authority attached to that family name. Listen to me. The son could even do business in the father's name because he had been given the authority of the family. Now, what does this mean for you and I? Come on. If you're in here and you're born again, then you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And you know what God has for you? He has for you a purpose to walk in the authority of his family, to walk into this world. Listen, if the, if the world's going to hear the gospel, it's going to hear it through my mouth. If the world's going to hear the gospel, he's going to hear it through our mouths. But if we're not careful, then we walk in guilt and shame and we don't understand the authority of the family. And the enemy says to us, no, you can't share the gospel because that would be hypocritical because remember what you did last night and who you are and everything. Listen, it's time for us to stand up and say, I am wearing the robe of righteousness. I am fully approved of. I am covered. And I will now move into my world and the authority of the family. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to begin to share the gospel. I'm going to begin to speak of his goodness I'm going to do the work of the father in my world not because I deserve it but because I've got a ridiculously generous father right so he's given the ring last thing he was given was sandals and you say what's the big deal there well if you look back in that time period what you'll find is that slaves did not wear shoes if you had a slave, one of the things you would do is you would take away their shoes and it would hamper their ability to escape or to run away. And so slaves went shoeless. Remember earlier in the story when it said that the young man had fallen on hard times when he was back away from the house. And in those hard times, the Bible says that he joined himself to a foreigner. He joined himself to the citizen of that land. Well, that terminology right there, if you look into it in the Greek, that terminology joined himself, it really literally means that he sold himself to this stranger. So here's what you find. You got a son of a good father who's in a foreign land in slavery, but he comes home. And when he comes home, his father looks down and sees those, those slave feet and he says, you're not a slave anymore. I'm going to free you from your slavery. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. And dressed in this robe, covered, dressed in, wearing the authority of my name and the authority of this family with shoes on your, fate, your feet, move out into this world. Thank you for wanting to just be a servant, but I've got more than service for you. I've got sonship for you. And in that moment, the father fully restored him. 
He, he was fully restored. And if I have one message for you today, it's that if you're a, a believer in Jesus, if you are born again, can I tell you, I don't care what the enemy says to you, you are fully restored as a son and daughter of, of God. But he tries to convince us, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but he tries to talk us out of our sonship. But listen, God's been so good. Not only did he receive you back into the family, he restored to you the position of son and daughter. Listen, this isn't about us. It isn't about what I deserve. It isn't about what I've earned. It's about one thing is that we have a ridiculously generous father. We call it the story of the prodigal son. I hate that term because it really is a story about a father. It's about a father's heart. And so the way I want to end this this morning is that I just believe that there may be people in here today who would fall into the category of prodigal. You say, well, listen, I've, I've, I've never accepted Jesus. I've never been born again. How could I be a prodigal? Even if you've never met your father yet, you're still, you're still a prodigal. And, and, and if we're not careful, if we have the wrong view, the wrong understanding of God, then we think, you know, even when we feel the Lord pulling on us, drawing us to himself, we then give in to the enemy with this wrong, uh, perverted thinking that says, when I, if I turn back to the Lord, he's going to greet me with disgust. He's going to greet me with condemnation. He's going to greet me with judgment or disappointment. Nothing could be further from the truth, but the enemy would love nothing more than to convince you of that. Because if he can, can convince you of that, it'll keep you from turning back to your father. If you're a prodigal who's never met your dad yet, today's your day. But maybe you are a prodigal here that you've known the Lord and you've walked in his goodness, but somehow you've stepped away, you've broken the relationship, there's distance between you and your father. And again, we all understand the guilt and condemnation that the enemy tries to put on us as the Lord begins to draw our heart to, to himself. And so my prayer is that this morning we would break through all of that and the noise of the enemy who says the Father doesn't approve of you or you're not worth it or your history um, says you're not qualified or he'd never receive you back or whatever it is. Listen, you are never too far gone for the generosity of our Father. Can I hear a big amen in the house this morning?